You are now listening to the Actors Business Network with Elena Joy. For more, visit theactorsbusinessnetwork.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Actors Business Network podcast. I'm your host, Elena Joy, where we are here to help you navigate this industry. So today we have a super special guest. We have the incredible Paul Clayton, who is the former chairman of the Actors Centre. He was an RSC actor. He was a regular on Peep Show. He's been in Hollyoaks, Coronation Street with appearances in The Crown. And he is, of course, the author of the incredible book, The Working Actor, The Essential Guide to a successful career Um, and he's also a regular writer of the stage the stage newspaper so for those of you that grab that you will have probably seen his name all over that as well so Paul is here today to help you navigate the industry his his advice on all things industry related is completely invaluable so please do grab a notebook and a pen and settle into one of the most exciting episodes so far you were at East 15 I was indeed. Yeah, I um, I graduated in two thousand and thirteen. Okay. I did the acting and stage combat course, and then oh, so you were based in Southend? Yeah, I think I went down one year when I was chairman of the Actor Centre to talk. We went to talk to the Southend campus as well as having been to the Loughton campus. But they, um, in fact, I think they might have gone twice. I was overjoyed because it meant fish and chips. <laughs> uh, fish and chips by the sea so um that's the winner yeah it was rather good okay fab so um the sort of ethos of the company that we've started to build is very similar to your book <laughs> ironically which is amazing I think what I found after I graduated like I said in my email to you is I was really struggling I didn't really know where to begin in terms of the business side of things I um, think I was quite disillusioned in a way. I kind of thought that I would have lots of auditions and lots of opportunities. And I knew that at times, um, you know, the, the tin of beans might become, if work did dry up, it could, you know, head down that route. But I had friends who had graduated drama schools and things like that. And I, I didn't really have a like a reality check on what it meant to kind of be an mm-hmm. actor and to persevere within it. And also, I was a, like writing to agencies and things like that, but I didn't really know what I was writing in a way. I, d- I had no yeah. concept of adding value to anyone. I was sort of just like, I'm an actor. You must hire me, please. I, you know, <laughs> I graduated yeah. drama school, just like however many hundred other people. I certainly wish that I'd found your book when I was acting. I'm not acting at the moment. Um, I have taken a step away from it. My, I've recently got married. And um, so- we're just sort of enjoying life, really. I met my husband at drama school and he's now training to be a physiotherapist. Um, wow. And this has sort of been in the pipeline for quite a long time, really. I um, I don't know if you know RSVP. The, it's an, a call centre. Uh, yeah, the... Um, yes, because in my first book, um, I, I went and talked to them uh, I wrote a book about, um, so you want to be a corporate actor, yeah. uh, which is for actors working in the corporate market. And one thing that I had done very little of, I did it back in the 1970s when everything was very di- different uh, and the 80s, was, was call centre work. And so I went to spend a day at RSVP and, and talked to, um, I can't remember the guy's name now who was running it at the time and who was there, but he was very helpful. And, I've, I, and I know other people who, who work there, either as supervisors or who got onto their books and, and done things, yeah. Yeah, so I was working there and I was sort of like scrolling through, because obviously you have your computer in front of you and you're taking calls constantly. Uh, and yeah. I was scrolling through and I was thinking, I'm, I'm contacting casting directors, I'm contacting agents. Like I had an agent at the time, but I'm, at that point I wasn't with um I, we didn't have the best relationship I then moved on to the RSVP they created an agency when yeah at the time when I was there and um I jumped onto their books and at the same time I was sort of like like Charlie the agent who works for them is so pro actor and she's really like you just have the best relationship with her she's absolutely lovely um but the the agent that I had before that I I always felt awkward to contact it was always like a very 
disjointed like I felt like I needed to apologize for interrupting her busy day um and I don't think at the time I was like I'm sure it's not supposed to be like this but there wasn't really the guidance for me to say oh I am actually allowed to you know it's supposed to be a partnership and everything else um and then of course like looking for my own work and things like that and it's very it can feel very disjointed like you're almost you graduate you're an actor you have all of these skills you know you know how to embody so many different characters but in actual fact like the industry is just a different ball game um so that's kind of where where it sort of stemmed from and then I was talking to it like I've got a, a group of friends who we all graduated at the same time and we were all like we, we're not the only people who who must be feeling this so we need to get something out there and um yeah just to share people's knowledge people who know people who are experiencing it to sort of give you that confidence and almost that there's other people who um can give that advice um so that was sort of the aim of it so we're just trying to create a podcast get as much get as many people as we can on that podcast um to share the story to share um their experience share their journey so other people can learn from it and hopefully it'll be a really good tool for new actors as well as some actors who are um you know sort of have been doing it for a while but perhaps there's new ideas in there um, so we had a casting director that specializes in um, performance capture um she's literally the only one on the scene she's called jessica jeffries and she was amazing mm -hmm. at like um just a different you know a different um thought process yeah. and things about at the bottom of the spotlight cv for example you know it's, it's got the little box at the bottom that says additional information and she was like in her additional information she very specifically wants the exact height of the actor because if you were the wrong height and you've applied for the job say you're six foot three and you've applied um for a five foot two job you don't fit into the yeah the capture i can't remember what she said it was called like basically the skeleton um, yeah. of that yeah. character and she was just like and she gets like 1500 applications for you know a job and um half of them won't have followed the instructions that you know it says in the casting breakdown so it's, it's things like that really and so just trying to get lots of different people's opinions and also some business experts like obviously social media at the moment is massive it's like well I keep saying it but I, I feel like it's the world's biggest stage really it is an opportunity especially in like lockdown and things like that if there are people do feel like they would like to learn a monologue practice a self-tape any of those things you can do that and put it out there um not necessarily a casting director would be looking for it but it still gives you an opportunity you know if you're friends with actors friends with other people within the industry um that they can see if you're like-minded maybe perhaps that is, opens up a networking opportunity gives you an opportunity to connect and then maybe create something i don't know like the film host that was done via zoom <laughs> like, yeah no i saw that in fact we i think we were almost going to watch it last night and then our sort of window for watching something went out the went out the window um yeah. but yeah no i noticed that on um on apple tv and i was going to um, i said to my other half oh, we should watch that mm. i really? think it's so Good. nice it yeah. yeah so nice that actors have been so proactive um during such a difficult time so um Absolutely. I've, I've i've read your book i have your book <laughs> it's right here um that's very good i'm very thrilled thank you very much that's i'm always thrilled when people have read it and it helps yeah um i'm i'm so sad that i hadn't found it when i was acting i'm so sad that i i found it after in a way uh, but i want to put it out there i want everyone to the working actor the essential guide to a successful career. I'll put it in the show notes um, for anyone that, you know, and then a link to Amazon so that they can get it. Cause I really feel like this, I feel like everything that you say is completely, if, if people did that, you know, you've got a lot more chance of having a successful career and it is really is a guide directly out of drama school, pick up the book. And then it's almost a map. That's good. Yeah, that's a nice description. Yeah, I think it's just the fact that um, 
we all think there are some things we should do and uh, you know uh, uh, and there are things we can do um, that can help us um, and sometimes knowing what they are uh, is is the is the key really and as you say it changes all the time so I come across areas that I don't know that much about but it's easier for me to find out um, and uh, I think what you said about you know I was exactly the same when I left drama school in 1978 I've left drama school I got a first um, uh, I'm brilliant, obviously, I know that. And hey, I've got a job for eight months. I've walked straight into a very big contract, which is great. Uh, I must be brilliant. Um, and then I couldn't understand why um, everybody didn't know that. And I wasn't auditioning every single day. And um, when the periods of unemployment did come along, uh, you think, why? <laughs> you know, why? And then you learn things and you learn them at different stages of your life. So I think the thing was to sort of go, well, if I'd known these things earlier, it's not that I necessarily would have been better, but I might have dealt with some things differently. Yeah, I think also, like for me, the, um, the lulls, the, the downtime, I feel now if I was experiencing that, I would have been able to find some light in those moments and almost appreciated the break. Um, whereas at the time I felt like I was always, I never, I didn't appreciate necessarily or really um, enjoy each of the moments because I was always looking for the next thing rather than saying, you know what, this is actually pretty great. Like take a look around, this is what you've worked for. This is, this is the reason why you wanted to go to drama school, you know, or a really good show in, in that, you, you got the connection to the character, you, you were in the moment, uh, or even a scene, not, not a whole show, of course, you're chasing after that <laughs> to do an entire show, that would be the dream, wouldn't it, to be in the moment for the entire show. Um, but in a particular scene, when you come off stage and the next scene's happening and you feel like, you know, well, actually that connection was like lightning, you could really, you really felt that something was happening. Um, and those, those tiny moments, and I think if I had that opportunity, well if I do decide to go out to acting at some point I think I'll just breathe in those moments and really think that as each break occurs to just kind of like look around and just be like this is okay it's okay to be um in the journey rather than just looking for the next thing the next thing the next thing like being on tour and still thinking oh I've only got a month left I should really be starting to contact other people now um yeah <laughs> I think that's important. I think that's important all the time as well, in that everything is part of the job, the days when you're at home, um, the days when you're doing the other job because you have financial objectives to meet, um, the days when you're dressed up in fabulous costume, frippering about and you love it. Uh, they're all part of the job. And just like any job, uh, you know, when you're a cleaner, you like cleaning the CEO's office because it's a big polished desk and it's nice. And you might not like cleaning the loos, um, but you have to do it all. And I think we, to me, it's just a job now. And there are aspects of the job I enjoy enormously. Uh, and there are aspects of the job I wish I think, oh God. But, you know, I do it because it's my job. Um, and that's why it became about the working actor in that you work every day. Um, in fact, just today, Kathy Willis, the casting director, had mailed me and she put a tweet out, which I retweeted about. She said, if you're sitting at home doing nothing, check your passport and how long it's got to run. Because now, if you go and work in the EU or anything, you've got to have six months left on your passport. So, and I, I just retweeted, I said, that's a brilliant thing on my maxim of do one thing every day that might lead to work. Um, just today, check it. And if there is going to, you know, if it is going to expire in the next year or so, make a note of when it's, when's the first time you can renew it and get it done on a day when you're not racing about. So it's in the drawer. So if that commercial comes up or whatever, you're, and it's a useful thing. And that's, it's part of the whole feeling of, um, you know, a, a feeling about you're doing things that can help you. 
Yeah, I love the the um, the mantra that was well, a mantra. I can't remember how you worded it uh, when you said about um, one thing every day for your career. Because did you you got that from somebody when you were training? Was it or was it on your first <laughs> job? Yeah, he, no, he was an actor who then uh, was working at a drama school in Manchester and his wife was a television director at Granada, but he always said this thing, you know, don't spend your whole day being an out-of-work actor. Spend your day being an actor um, and do one thing that might lead to work and then get on with being you. Because ultimately, when you walk into audition rooms and things, it's you they hire. Um, and they don't want to hire 23 hours a day worth of somebody who hasn't worked. So mm. there are lots of things to do, um, but don't spread the, the out of workness over the whole day. Don't all day feel I'm not working and I should be and what can I, okay. You know, and it used to be a simple, it's changed and it is easier in some ways and it's more difficult in others. But on a Thursday morning, I used to buy the stage and because it was, um, you know, we used to buy, I, I did still share a flat after I'd started working with other actors. We used to buy the stage on a Thursday morning. Somebody would go around the corner of the news agents and we would literally sit with the jobs page in the stage on a Thursday morning and note down anything we were going to apply for. Uh, and then Friday's job might be to apply for them um, uh, and write uh, various letters because in those days you did have to do a lot of letter writing. So it's just that task thing. And then you clear your day, and I still do it now. Like, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about lockdown. I do have a task list, and I will want to still be at my desk every day by 10, and I will work through that email and task list. And sometimes I might finish by quarter to 11, mm. uh, and sometimes I might not finish till three in the afternoon, or other things might come in. But I think, right, that's my stuff, and I've done it so that, the rest of the day, I can now enjoy lockdown and being at home. I can, I can read a book. I can go and have a nap. I can um, go and mess around or whatever and do something pointless because I have done the bit of my life that is work uh, rather than all day. Just think, oh, God, you know, is my agent going to ring? Is somebody going to ask me to do something? Um, what's my bank account look like? You know, <laughs> looking at your bank account and balancing it out is a task and you do that one day and then you put it away in the drawer and you get on with it absolutely um i think for all of us we have a starting point don't we where we realize it's what we want to do and it was very early on for me i think i was at infant school um i i must have been six or seven but i wanted to do a play i have an image that this play lasted about 20 minutes and involved two girls in my class. Uh, it probably lasted about four minutes. <laughs> and um, But the good thing was the teacher made the rest of the class put their chairs around in a semicircle, and we stood in the middle and did it. And I liked the feeling of being watched. Um, and I also pushed the casting boundaries because I played a very heroic soldier, which I've never really done since. <laughs> so it always burned away in me that I wanted to be an actor. And then the education system at the time in England in the 70s, you had grammar schools and things. And I went to a, a grammar school and I was being pushed to go to Oxbridge um, and to be academic because that was the, the what my prowess seemed to be. And although I did school plays and loved and it was great, um, school was saying, no, you do this. And I just knew that I wanted to go to drama school. I, I toyed with journalism, which is funny because now I, I write for the stage and obviously I've been writing books recently, um, but nothing burned like this idea of acting. And I got into the National Youth Theatre and I, but I had made the decision that I was going to go to drama school and school got a bit annoyed with me. And then I stuck two fingers up them, did a lot of work, got a set of A-level grades that will get me into Oxbridge. But I went to drama school and my parents couldn't afford, uh, I got a place at RADA, I didn't get a scholarship. My parents couldn't afford to pay and Rotherham, uh, <laughs> there was this bizarre system that you went and auditioned for RADA and RADA said, yeah, we think you're okay, come in. And then Rotherham said, we want you to go and audition for Mrs. Um, Fogarty Smythe on a Saturday afternoon and she'll decide whether we're going to give you a grant. So my father ran me in the car. So I would have been about 17 
and I got you know the piece of paper from RADA and the the day long audition at RADA going yeah we think you're fine and then you went in for 10 minutes into a deserted church hall in the back streets of Rotherham somewhere on a Saturday afternoon with a woman who sat at a table at the far end uh, and it was a bit like doing lambda poetry exams um, <laughs> you know you went in did you bit I can't even remember what piece I did I think it must have been my I thought I'll do what I did for RADA so it would have been a bit of Richard II I think um, and then you didn't get told there and then. And then I got a letter saying, no, I, um, Mrs. Fogarty Watts had decided I wasn't of a standard that Rotherham could make an award. Um, and then I realised that my parents weren't as rich as I thought. Uh, <laughs> we had village shops, but, you know, they were very hardworking. And so I had to go to a drama school that if you got A-levels, they gave you a mandatory grant. And I went to Manchester Poly School of Theatre, um, Manchester Met, I think as it now is. And it was good for me because it, Manchester was a smaller C than London. Um, like, you know, now Bristol and Royal Welsh are very good places to go to because they are away from the hurly-burly of the competition in London. And I think people nowadays are much more viable to the idea of traveling to other drama schools to look at people. Um, but Manchester was good. And the great thing out of it was we were developing a relationship with the Royal Exchange, which had just opened in my second year while I was there. And we'd done our showcases. We did one in London and one at the Royal Exchange. And I haven't got an agent. And I was walking across the car park on the next to the last day of term. And the assistant director from the Royal Exchange, who directed a play with us, and he directed me and Hedda Gabler, pulled up in his car and got out and gave me an envelope and said, I've got something for you. And um, he gave me a letter which was basically an eight-month contract offer to tour Shakespeare with the Royal Exchange around Europe and then play at the Royal Exchange and then another play after Christmas. Um, wow. So, yeah, so that was really good. And in those days, of course, you just knew that when you left drama school, you would go into theatre. That's what we all knew. You go to rep, you wrote to all the reps. Um, theatre, there was a progression, you know, nobody immediately went into television. Um, you went into theatre. So the Royal Exchange was a very good theatre and I wasn't earning the minimum. Um, and I was there for eight months. And I, I I think the good thing that it did was just that at the end of eight months coming out of drama school, it made me feel like I had earned the word actor on my passport. Um, it didn't really prepare me for when suddenly eight months later I was unemployed without an agent and had to um, get back to writing letters to find other jobs which I, I did but I think that continuity of being with a company for a while I know is something that a lot of young actors really crave and wish the rep system were in existence now and I think not that people have a choice over it but if you were to prioritize I'm always amazed when I was at the Actors Centre talking to young actors at drama school and going, what's the dream job, okay? What's the, if I can write this on a piece of paper for you now, it's all, their dream jobs were always something really quite transitory. Um, like, oh, I want to do an episode of Game of Thrones was all the fashion until a year or so ago. And you'd think, would you, do you not want to go and do a season at the National? Do you not want to go and do six months at the Royal Court um, or at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Or if you are, and I accept that people are not all theatre creatures, do you not want to go and do a long run on a soap where some of our best actors are lurking there? Um, so I think there's, there's jobs that give you the thing where it just becomes part of your life. And I think that's what that first job did for eight months that was my life and it just became routine to be on stage in a Shakespeare at 7.30 and, and then for the second three months in a, in a Pinero farce and I was very very lucky and we went all around Europe and um, uh, and it, it gave me lots of anecdotes. <laughs> well it's amazing amazing 
I certainly wish the rep system was still there. Uh, but then I was 100% theatre when I was acting, like theatre through and through. So yeah. what advice would you give to actors, obviously now who are just coming out of drama school? What, I mean, I understand your entire book, The Working Actor, is a, a massive diary um not even a diary dictionary really is what I'm looking for um of advice it's it is full to the brim of advice for new actors so if you could sum it up what advice would you give well I think that there was a brilliant book called The Job of Acting which came out when I was in my third year at drama school and it was written by Clive Swift who was one of the founders of the Actors Centre so it sort of tied in that when I was asked to write a second book for Nick Hearn Books, and I was chairman of the Actors Centre at the time, and the job of acting is out of print, but the job of acting told you rates of pay, it told you national insurance contribution rates, it told you where to sit in the dressing room to get the best seat. Uh, it didn't tell you how to play Chekhov. It told you how to find digs. It told you, um, you know, about cheaper train travel on Sundays. And it was a little book and it was just like a Bible. And um, when I found it was out of print and I thought it, something like that needs to be done for the, the 21st century. So that was the reason behind the working actor. I, I, I don't, you can't tell people how to act. Um, I mean, it's a, we are, um, you know, it's, it's subjective. You and mm. I can sit at the theater side by side and watch the same play. And, you can think somebody is fantastic and I can think they're terrible and mm. vice versa. And, um, you know, we're both right. I mean, people think when they see you on television, some people think I'm brilliant and some people think I am absolutely shit. And um, the first group are obviously right, <laughs> but, um, you know, their, their, their opinion is valid. So I didn't think there was any point in writing about acting. There's a lot of books about acting because it's all opinion but practical um, advice. So I think the, 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 the biggest thing when you're starting out is, is to have a plan, not a career plan, not I'm going to do a telly, a theatre, and then I'm going to go into being in the next set of Avengers franchises. Um, I think the plan is, is I'm going to do this. This is my financial plan. This is my budget or whatever work out what you need to live on, set those little objectives. Because at the end of the year, what will keep you going into the next year is a feeling of success. Um, and we can get that feeling of success on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a, a monthly or a yearly basis, however we set it. Um, and if you set objectives for yourself, you can quantify whether you've been successful. Asking young actors when they were leaving drama school and saying, if I have a conversation with you in a year's time, on this day in a year's time, what will you need to have done to say, yes, you've been successful? And very few of them could be specific. They would all say, uh, well, I want to work. And they say, but what do you want? Do you want two days on the crown? Do you want um, a fringe play in Kilburn for three weeks? What do you want? What? What means what to you? Because it's different for all of us. And also, how much do you need to live? And what percentage of your income is going to come from your acting work? And what percentage of your income is going to come from other streams, other skills? Because um, nobody, uh, a very tiny percentage, probably 2% now of actors, actually entirely survive on their actor's income on their circle of work as an actor. Uh, I certainly don't. I work in the corporate market um, as a trainer and a creative director uh, and it's great fun and it allows me to use the skills that I've got but, um, but means that I'm in a very lucky position and it has been a lucky position at times in that I can say no to things so that I can maintain a little integrity about what I do rather than just I'd say yes to anything for any money. Um, so I think plotting that out, and but being prepared to change. Um, I think if you'd asked the 21-year-old me what uh, successful meant, um, it's not what I have now at six, nearly 64. Um, it probably would have involved my name in lights, 
which I don't think has ever happened as far as I know, but, you know, I mean, because theatre was our world and that's what you wanted mm. to be. And some of those objectives, like being in the RSC, for, uh, have been achieved and it's been great, but success now means different things. And um, I think it modifies each time you progress, each time you leave a job or you move on a year or some, some of us meet people and we fall in love with, you get married, like I believe you've just done. Yeah. It changes your perspectives, which is great. And that's fabulous. And that should colour your working life. Um, mm. And I think so it's, it's learning how to set objectives. Um, and you don't compromise on those objectives and, and you, you have to own up to, I haven't made that. But if you've made a list of say six or seven and at the end of a year, you know, last week, when we were all busy cheering at the end of 2020. Um, uh, although actually, of course, from what's going on at the moment, 2020 looks like it was just the trailer and 2021 <laughs> was the movie, doesn't it? Um, but um, you make those objectives, you tick that box, and if you've got a list of seven and you can tick four, you think, hey, do you know what? I'm doing all right. And it's that feeling that will carry you on because, um, you know, if you had worked last year and say you did a really good telly way back in January 2020 and then you endured the rest of 2020, on December the 31st, you're going to feel like shit. Mm. But if you can look back and see that box ticked for what you did in January, you'll go, well, actually, it's not all been shit. It is worth doing. And, and that's what I try and do. Um, I still try and do it to set myself financial days working. And, and I'm lucky enough to be in a position to go, what would I like to do that's new? What haven't I done? Um, you know, I did a film a couple of years ago for a young guy who sent a script and he won an award and it was a horror film. I've never done a horror film, so I wanted to do it. Uh, and I had to get my clothes off, which was probably why it was a horror film for most people. <laughs> um, so I did it and uh, it was great fun. And bless him, it's a fantastic film. It's a 12 minute short. It's a brilliant film and it was something I'd never done and so it was a challenge for me and I like that feeling of when I leave the house on the days when I leave the house or get in the car to go and film I like to be worried about whether I can do it yeah and my partner will say to me you know of course you can do it you've been doing it and I say yeah you know I'm not sure so I think that's that's part of what you want. You, you need to organize some sort of plan for yourself so you've got something in your life every day. Yeah, and whether that is, it's like you said about the percentage of actors who are um, working. It's, you know, it's what you consider work, what you consider that is gonna add value to what you really want, um, what you define success as. I think defining success, like you said, is that could, you know, make or break your fulfillment, really, and, and how yeah, you see and your I, whole I'm career. Always, yeah, there was a lovely young actor who I've been doing some mentoring with, because I did a lot of mentoring during the Alan Bates, and then I've done a little bit because my partner runs a company that's based in Birmingham, so we also have a flat in the centre of Birmingham. So I, I went to do some work at the Royal Conservatory in Birmingham, and I mentored a couple of actors, and I was sat having lunch with one, and he we were just talking about these things and he said to me he said i'd kill for your career and i went god would you you know because you you put everything in perspective um in that what i've had since 1978 when i left drama school um has probably been very different because in 1978 we couldn't imagine some of what we do now mm. so therefore you think well yes i suppose if you tick standard boxes, I am successful. And, you know, those, box, those boxes are, you're recognised in the street, you earn enough money to live, you do whatever. Um, but now everybody's recognised in the street because we're all on social media, things have changed. So I think it's just being susceptible to that change is what's good. And time will unfold and time will tell what's going to happen next, really, in a way. Yeah. So it's, that's quite exciting, though, I think. Somewhat mm. not knowing what's going to happen. Some, yeah. I don't really want to know what's going to happen in 20 years. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Rather yeah. wait and see. <laughs> 
Um, so what about your process, your personal process in preparing for an audition? Do you have like a routine or anything like that? Or do you just sort of see what happens when it comes up? Oh, God. Um, I learn the lines, which I find increasingly hard. Um, these days, the number of auditions you go for that you don't do here at home on your iPad. So my partner's very, I think there should be awards for the people who read in for us mm. on tapes our husbands and wives and lovers and sisters and flatmates you know we I had to do one the other week for a series that would involve the other person singing because I was going to play somebody who was staging a musical in a series for Netflix and so my partner was reading in and he had to do the singing uh, so it was way above the call of duty at 11 a.m on a Sunday morning to be you know behind an iPad for him to be uh, singing so that I could get this self-tape off to them wow. by 10 on Monday morning. Um, bless him, he was very tolerant. Um, but um, I think the thing is, is I, I learned the lines. Uh, Would you recommend for everyone to learn the lines? Because this is something that's been uh, talked about a little bit at the moment on Twitter. Yeah, actually, let me be um, precise. That's really good. Well done, pulling me up. I learned the lines, but I never let go of the script in the room because it's not a memory test. So just like that first day when you go back in with your lines in rehearsal and you put the book down, uh, a good director will let you put the book down, but they'll let you refer to the book and use the book as, you know, there's, a, there's an intermediate process between knowing it and, and, and having the book in your hand. Yeah. And um, uh, I always have the script on my lap uh, if I'm being filmed, like, you know, on a casting tape. Um, I think the the learning of the lines is good because uh, it does help free you up, but I don't think you should go in there thinking that if you forget them or if you want to refer to them, you're in any way failing. It's not a memory test. Um, and there was Twitter, and uh, who was that casting director? Um, Mark Summers. Oh, Mark Summers, yes. I don't mind saying it, because I did tweet to him afterwards. Oh, that's appalling. That's appalling. I mean, you know, we do have to do the job without being paid in order to get the job. And we do it with as good a grace as we can. And nobody goes into the room doing all that work saying, actually, I don't want your job. Um, we go, and a lot of people go in quite desperate, and having sat behind a lot of audition tables as a director, I've seen a lot of desperate actors come in, and it's not good. Um, but don't piss me off. Please don't piss us off by comments like that about we haven't learned the lines. It might be because we've been trying to buy a loaf of bread the previous day and working till midnight to do it. Um, but I, do, I would start learning the lines. Um, that would be my starting point. And I think the key thing for me, the big change that happens to you as an actor with auditions is that when I was, and we were talking about this earlier, uh, in 1978, I came out of drama school. I go into an audition. Uh, Hello, I'm Paul Clayton. I'm an actor. I've trained. I've got a piece of paper. What would you like me to be? I'm an actor. Uh, they don't know what they'd like you to be because they want to see what you are. And I think you have to get to the stage of where you go in and go, hello, I'm Paul Clayton. Would you like me? And a lot of young people think this is typecasting and it's not because the greatest asset you bring to the profession is you are the best you there is. And there may be people who are similar to you, but there, are, there is nobody who is you. So there is no other Paul Clayton. Um, and you get to the stage whereby you feel confident enough to go into the room and say, well, this is what I am, do you like it? And so for me, part of the preparation is deciding what I will do with that script, making the decision. And at that point, on quite a lot of jobs, I suppose I put myself out of the running because I may make wrong choices. Now, good directors won't have made their choices. They will watch a lot of actors make choices for them and they'll select from that. Some directors will have made choices about how this character should be played before they see the actors. And if you've made a choice that's not like that, they may well on that grounds alone eliminate you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So don't waste any time worrying about it. But I think the difference for me was um, 
when I got to the stage, and for me, I think it was in my late 30s, it took me the time to get there, was that thing of being able to walk in and say, this is who I am, would you like it? And if you don't, it's not your problem. It also is not mine. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means mm. you don't want me. I understand the phrase, I am not right. Um, rather than going in and saying, hello, what would you like me to be? because quite frequently then at the end of the interview when the actor's gone out you've not really seen anything um the people i've engaged in lots of stories of castings but um you know it i don't think there's anybody i've ever booked who i was so engaged by their acting um but not engaged by them as a person and the other way around is that there are some people I was massively engaged with as people in, in the audition room. And then they might not be the most original, but actually, because they were so engaging as a person, you booked them to do the job. And three weeks in the rehearsal room, they're great because they've developed um, their personality into that character for you. So that's my prep, is making some choices and um, making sure I'm very familiar with the lines. Brilliant. So... In terms of, obviously, we talked about prepping the work. What about um, getting the work in the first place? So your agent, how much of your obtaining work is, would you leave down to your agent versus how much would you um, try and achieve yourself, try and um, make those connections? And um... Well, I think the thing is, there is a thought that when you've got an agent, the job's done and the work will all roll in and you just sit back. And if you do, you'll get much less work than you anticipate. Um, and I think the greatest thing for me was that things were less agent focused when I left drama school in the late 70s. Um, and also uh, I was up in Manchester. So we came to London to do a showcase. And although I had some interest, I followed it up with letters. We didn't do emails and things in those days. And um, a couple of them came to see me that summer in, in something had promised they'd come and see me in something in the National Youth Theatre. And then I didn't do the National Youth Theatre because I went to the Royal Exchange. Um, so I didn't really follow it up. So then I found myself without an agent and I was without an agent for three years. And I went from theatre to theatre to theatre, just writing. I was very lucky that when I was in big cities like Manchester, I was spotted and asked to do some television for Granada. Um, and then the classic thing sort of happened is I was in a play in Leicester about 1982. So I'd been going for about four years and somebody's agent came from London and the next day this actress got a postcard um, and on the bottom of the postcard was P.S. Does Paul Clayton have an agent? And um, I said, oh God, who's your agent? Who's your agent? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's um, Meg Poole at Richard Stone. And I uh, oh, right, fine, great. So I, um, I wrote to her and I went to meet her when I got to London and I signed with her and she was lovely. Uh, and I was promptly out of work for nine months um, because she just changed everything I went up for. So I'd been doing all this stuff of writing to theatres and then she was putting me up at Tellingham for theatre in London and whatever. And I was getting down to the last two or three, but not getting the work. And of course, to me, it just felt like um, I was unemployed. So I think the thing is, if you do get an agent, it's a relationship. And... Um, you know, if you're getting married, I think you talk at some point, consciously or not, about what marriage means to you both. And uh, my partner and I have just celebrated 24 years together at Christmas. And well, congratulations. You know, <laughs> thank you. You get less for murder. Um, <laughs> uh, but we know how our relationship works because we know we have to function as two individuals, but holding up the arch, that lovely reading from Cahill Gibran, the prophet, about the two pillars of the temple. They're separate pillars, but they work together to hold yeah. up the arch, but you recognize them as, um, my partner's very successful uh, in the business side of show business. And um, uh, I think that's the same with an agent is that, young actors are so desperate to get agents most actors say that they get the agent they sign yes yes yeah and a lot of young actors are quite simply terrified of their agent yeah um, i was know, and, and, definitely yeah 
And when I was coming out of drama school, there were some big agents who behaved appallingly, you know, and, and, and that was it. I think it's easier now. But um, the thing is, is what does your agent expect from you? And the questions that people don't ask when they go and see agents about representation is, so if we were to work together, as opposed to if you were to represent me, yeah. if we were to work together, what would you expect me to do? Now, there are some agents, and I know one, I remember we were doing the Alan Bates Award one year, and she said, I just expect my clients to do nothing, to sit at home and be available all the time. And I went, I said, well, thank God you've never represented me, because how do I earn money? And she went, you get a job that you can just make sure you can go to an audition. I went, do you know, I don't mind what you said, because you're very clear about it. Hmm. And that's fine. But in return, I would then be wanting to say, okay, so if I'm not doing any finding of interviews or anything, um, how many can I expect from you in a year? And what should, what should we be looking to achieve? Most agents will be really grateful for you to want to play some of the, the, the role as well. And there's a whole lot of work, um, corporate work, fringe work, um, self-created projects that can be a really valuable part of your life that your agent is not going to touch or look for mm. because your agent is a business and you are an asset and you are in their shop window. And while they will invest in you and they're really nice and they will spend time on you, ultimately you're there to earn the money. So why would they spend four hours negotiating a profit share contract for you and agreement when they could just put you up for televisions and have you doing two lines in doctors, uh, which will give them a greater commission for their agency. And while we'd love to believe that, believe there's a lot of altruism about they are business people and business people are good because business people make money and that's what we want to do as an actor so I think the thing is is to ask what they would and get it clear you know uh, I mean my agent's very good about she said I don't mind you writing for things but I'd like to know what you you know check with us if you want to if you're going to write for really big things she said we're not going to be following up student films She's quite clear about that. We're not mm. going to be doing that. If they come into the office for you, we will pass them on. Um, and some really nice little projects have come along that I really like doing. But I know that, you know, she's looking, she will quite, she, she quite often begins conversations with the words, I don't know whether you want to do this. <laughs> but, um, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I will, I'm at home. Um, so, I think it's like any other relationship. Be prepared to have that conversation and know what they expect of you and know what you expect of them. And if you realistically do think, I expect to work six months of the year because I've got an agent, um, I think you should tell your agent that. And I think your agent may then tell you that your expectations might be unrealistic. Um, but at least you'll both be clear about things. Mm. It's about, you know, about being clear about what time your wife or your husband comes home. If you both have different expectations of it and you're spending evenings on your own and it's not been discussed very soon, that'll be a relationship on the rocks. Whereas actually, if you sit down and say, okay, let's both make sure we're back by 8.30 each evening for our together time, then it's done and you, you know where you are. And most agents really, really like that, you know, about contacting them. And, mm. When, when you, if you work out, go on the website, look at the number of agents that your clients, your agent has, uh, divide, and this involves doing maths, which I'm really bad at, um, divide the number of minutes in a working week by that number of clients, and you'll find out you probably get something in the region of four to six minutes, about two minutes a day, possibly. So if they make a phone call of six minutes on somebody else's behalf, two other clients don't get any attention that day. And that's being realistic. So when you want a discussion with your agent, it's better to sort of preface it. And I, I mine's brilliant and she, she will answer the phone to me and I don't have a problem, but it's because I don't bother her. Uh, and with my corporate work, I just send um, a list 
the things I've booked in and gone, these are days when I'm NA or these are days when I've got jobs I could change or I've booked flights for these, so I'm not available for that. And as long as they've got that, and I think in the years I've been with her, I think I've been with her about 20 years now, a bit longer, actually. Wow. Um, and uh, yes, and not just her. I mean, I did go with that first agent and then I had about four. Uh, but I have been with, yeah, no, with Amanda's. Uh, I signed them. I was in something in the West End and again, she came up to me on the first night. And my agent at the time had been rather silly and not come to the first night party. And Amanda came and went, I don't know whether you have an agent, but we'd be very keen in talking to you. Um, but uh, I think in 22 years, we fucked it up once um, of me not telling her and she booking me into something and then going, I've got to pull you out of this now because you made a commitment I didn't know about. Um, so it's, it's just good to talk and they really like it because they're getting the benefit from the conversation as well. Yeah, so probably best to, instead of bombarding them, just make it really clear right away from the beginning, you know, how much, when you're, how often you're, you feel you need to touch base with them or what they would prefer in terms of their working week and things like that, just so that you're clear. So you're not sending them a load of emails saying, okay, what's going yeah. on? Um, yeah. And they're just going, oh, if there, were some, the if there were something going on, they will tell you, mm. you know, it's like, it, it's like premium bonds. You know, if you get past the 10th of the month, it's no good thinking, I wonder if I've won. I wonder if, I... if you'd won, you'd have had an email. So yeah. forget about it. Move on to something else. And similarly, your agents will be right on the phone the minute they have an interview or a, a job. So that thing about when you say you want to catch up, that's for you. And that's fine if they're prepared to invest time in that. But, you know, um, it's like people saying, you know, could I, I wonder if I could have a list of everything I've been suggested for. Mm. I don't want to know that people have said, no, I'm wrong for it. <laughs> You know, I don't want to know anything about the things they've suggested. And I'm sure there's an awful lot of things they've suggested me for. And people go, oh, God, no, not him. You know, not tired old him. <laughs> so I prefer not to know that. Retain my vanity. <laughs> what about um, contacting casting directors? So um, in your book, you say about um, freelance casting directors and TV. And then versus film, which work more primarily with agents. Have I got that right? Say that again. So the TV casting directors are normally freelance. Is that right? Cast directors or they're uh, on quite one Quite a project. lot of them are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you are an actor that isn't represented, you can contact them and you're more likely to get in the door than you are via a film, which might be only contacted through agencies yeah there is more of a chance um i mean i think it's difficult I, I think it's difficult to get interviews for mainstream film and television without an agent and the reason is this is because um actors lie right uh, they say they're six foot two and they're five foot eight they say they're blonde and they're brunette uh, they say they're genuine Yorkshire and they were born in Brighton, um, <laughs> but they say things to get work. And we've all been guilty of it and I've done it. And, um, you know, I am, oh, yes, I could do that. I do that. And you think, no. Um, so I think essentially that when you open the doors and wanting, you know, open mindedness in casting, agents are a filter uh, for casting directors who, in turn, them as are a filter for the people the directors see. And also the casting directors sometimes make brilliant suggestions. Um, so it is difficult to get into that system if you don't have the first layer, which is the agent and the filter. But there is much more information available now. Um, I think that the main thing is, is to ask the casting directors, and here you're better if you're talking to a casting director who is freelance and works on a variety of projects rather than talking to the resident casting director for Emmerdale. Because if you ain't suitable for Emmerdale or if you, you know, you educated at Rodine and were born in Kent, you've got a very tight market of getting into Emmerdale. Whereas a freelance casting director is bound to be casting something 
with a you know an upper class girl in it or whatever uh, and may need more people so your investment your your return on investment which is a business decision is potentially higher if you contact and try and develop a relationship with a good freelance casting director now there's no point in writing to them and saying, oh, great, hello, I'm censored, I'm out of drama school, here's my pictures, here's my credits, um, please bear me in mind, because they have to do the work. They mm. have to do the bearing in mind. Uh, <laughs> and they're busy. They're busy doing their casting, so they're not, you know. Um, so the thing is, is the first thing is to be happy, is to say hello um, and try and develop something that rather than ask please bear me in mind is basically saying, can I have an audition? Um, don't ask for an audition, ask for a cup of coffee. Ask for the next time they're doing general meetings to come in and what, what is it that you get people in and when's the best time for me to write to you to come and see you on your next general meetings for five minutes so we can meet face to face. Because they will write back with that information, even if it's only to say, I never, knew gem I never do general meetings, which will be their loss, but if that's what they do, you can't change it, so don't waste any more time with that casting director. Move on to somebody else, because there are lots of other casting directors who do do general meetings, who appreciate that not every actor worth their salt gets an agent, and that they do want to see people who other people haven't found. Um, so don't ask for the whole thing in one in one go, and and say you know I'm brilliant, bear me. Because why should I? You know, it's like. Um, booking a plumber mm. why should i just book anybody i want i need to know what they've done i need to see what they've done so instead of going to plumbers the first thing i will do is go to other people i know who own houses and say have you got a good plumber yes very so true casting directors go to agents and say have you got a good actor yeah um and agents will go yes or no and some agents finally enough you know casting directors despair of some agents as much as they do of <laughs> unagented actors, because some agents send you dreadful suggestions. Um, and That's the reason that most, yeah, but most casting directors have their own pool of agents. They don't put everything out on, you know, it, it, people say the same people appear in, in lots of different programs. Uh, you know, your agent will be in with certain casting directors because they respect that he or she always sends them good, valid suggestions. Um, and if, if your agent's doing that, then the casting director will go back to them. But in building those relationships for the unagented actor, you know, take it a step at a time. And when you write to them, think about them rather than just telling them all about you. Why don't you, have you written to them because you've seen something they've cast? And did they do it brilliantly? Was it well cast? You know, if you've just watched The Serpent, that eight-part thing on BBC with um, Jenna Coleman, uh, the acting is superb, and the casting, and I'm really shamefully, and I can't remember who cast it, but um, it's brilliantly cast, and that's, it's brilliantly cast. It's not just that it's really good actors, it's really well cast. So if you'd seen that, and that casting director pops up, and you think, right, that's a really good thing to write and just say, I'm just taking a moment because I've just finished watching this. I've never had the chance to have five minutes, so I'd really, you know, but you're actually saying thank you, well done for your, you know, for your stuff. Don't over-egg it. But mm. um, I think giving the other person a little bit of benefit uh, is quite often good. Great. What about, so... Um... In your book, you said about networking. And the, I think the beginning of the chapter says, if someone told me that I had to network in order to get work, I'm not sure where to begin. I'm not sure I'd know where to begin. In terms of like networking within the industry, obviously there's like sending emails, there's, you know, going out in person, doing the press night thing. What would you say is the most effective way of networking? Or do you think just do it all? Oh God, I think it's really, I mean, I, I... I am somebody who only talks to people he already knows at parties and, um, and most even sometimes not even that I will if I know people really well but I, I'll just my partner and I have a code and we'll sort of chat and then after about half an hour 
um, we'll head off to a restaurant somewhere. I am terrible. Uh, my partner used to work in theatre marketing and then he was commercial director for Lloyd Webber. And so a lot of first nights and things. And I would go along as the plus one, which is interesting because then, and also it's very funny because there's nothing you can do about that. But I know for a fact that I got, I was put in a major drama series because somebody saw me at the first night of a pantomime at the Palladium and went and then ran my agent the next day and went, it's Paul Cleeton lost a lot of weight. And then suddenly there was an interview. And <laughs> my best way of networking is being seen doing something and it reminds people you exist. Uh, I mean, that's what's been good about lockdown is they've repeated God knows everything. Um, <laughs> and it means you're on the telly and people go, oh, you know, he's still doing it. So the next day, and, and I know because I've done that myself for a project that I couldn't cast. And then I sat down to watch A Touch of Frost and I watched somebody, I thought, I know him. Why have I not thought of Mark? For, and the next day we got him in for this thing I was directing with Channel 4. And um, uh, he, of course he was brilliant, um, but I hadn't thought of it until he was on the telly. And that's happened to me the other way around. I think it is, it is being seen, it is being, and if, you can't, if you're not in things, then go to things. Mm. Uh, and there's more chance that if you go to a first night um there will be people around but of course in order to network they've got to know who you are to start with you could say um i think there is there's now a lot of workshops and things that take place um where you sort of get a chance to meet people because you're part of the workshop so you know i know i think some casting directors do it just because they haven't got a job on that week so hello 50 quid for a workshop well, Seven why not? People and, yeah, <laughs> but exactly. If it gets people in, as long as they're not abusing, you know, people's um, generosity and they are giving information uh, about how they work, um, I think that's fair and fine and fair. Um, but I think that networking is quite hard. I think it's just maintaining a presence without being irritating. Um, you know, I mean, you, you also get, it gets very hard because on social media, you think, am I doing this because this is me on social media or am I doing this because I want social media to achieve something for me? Uh, mm. And with me, not a problem. Twitter is me and I just rant and rave about poor customer service. I talk very little about acting, but people find it <laughs> funny and I, I do it. I, hopefully I'm amusing. So, you know, I do go in for interviews. People go, I love your Twitter feed. And you go, great. They won't be talking about I love my Twitter feed because it's all about my acting or everything. It's because I'm just talking about how appalling it is to have to do online chat with three to try and renew your phone contract. Um, <laughs> and various other things during the, the year we've had um, under this, I use the word loosely, government. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I, that's networking. I think the thing is, is it's it's what you feel comfortable with because what you want to happen is you want to come across as yourself. Mm. And if going to first nights in a posh rock doesn't make you feel yourself, then you're not going to be at your best, and it will come across as false. And what we all respond to in this um, industry, in conversations like this, which is very nice, and in audition rooms and in the working room is we respond to authenticity, to people being who they really are. And if you're trying to network and put yourself in a place that you're not really comfortable in, that's not gonna come across. So I'd, I, I'm the first to, you know, at a first night party to go, do we really have to stay, you know? Cause it's I not my that. comfort. I love that. It's so, what you just said is just so raw and honest and it's letting people know that they don't have to do things that just because, you know, they feel like it comes with the territory, which I think is really, really, especially in such a hard industry, it's really important that you don't, you know, if it does make you feel uncomfortable, you don't necessarily have to do that. You, there are a million other ways of being there, being present, like you said. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty much at the end of my questions. I cannot thank you enough. You are absolutely a world of knowledge. I'm so grateful. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this is extremely grateful as well. 
Um, the Working Actor, The Essential Guide for a Successful Career by Paul Clayton, the wonderful Paul Clayton, give me a clap, um, can be found on Amazon. Like I said, I'm going to put it in the show notes so that you can all link, find it, buy it. It is completely essential. If you're a new graduate or if you've been in the industry for a while and feel like you need to approach things in a different way, it could just be the tiny, there's, there's an entire section on equity, like equity. I didn't even know they had a casting um, uh, jobs on equity. I didn't even know that existed. I had equity, obviously, you know, you sign up to equity when you graduate. Didn't even know that existed until I read your book. And, you know, good. that's that's mad to think that that was actually there. And there must be so many people that don't know that they have a, I just thought I'll contact equity if I have a problem on a job. That's what, you know. Um, so, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You have to head over to Amazon and get that book. Thank you so much to Paul Clayton for joining us today. What an incredible episode. Absolutely filled to the brim with tons of advice for you guys to implement into your careers. Thank you so much to this audience for joining me today. And do not forget to head over to Amazon. The link is in the show notes to grab Paul Clayton's book, The Working Actor, The Essential Guide to a Successful Career. There is tons of business advice in that book. So please, please, please don't forget to head over to Amazon and grab a copy. Also head over to www.theactorsbusinessnetwork.com and on there we have loads of freebies for you to help you up level your careers and I look forward to you all joining me next week. Bye bye.